Jesus says, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said to him, See, now you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, and has now come, that you will be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And Father, we ask that as we continue in our worship now by opening the word of God together, that you would just prepare each one of us by the work of your Holy Spirit, that we would have an ear to hear what your Spirit is seeking to say to this part of your church this morning, to this particular portion of the word of God, that we would each be prepared, Lord, and that we would be able to hear what the voice of your Spirit is trying to say to each one of us this day. So we ask, bless your word as we study it together, and let us hear your voice, and we believe that you'll do this, Lord, and we ask it expectantly in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. You know, this present world is a difficult place at times. There are a lot of things that from time to time we'll find ourselves struggling through, but thanks be to God that he promises to us the offer of entering into a much better experience, that there is something beyond this present physical world that's called the kingdom of God. It's often referred to as the eternal dimension, heaven, that wonderful realm together with God that is available for all of us who have put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the experience of a place there in the kingdom of God in his presence where the Bible assures to us there is no more death, there is no more sorrow, there is no more crying, there is the absence of pain. There's the removal of all struggles. Instead, it is a place of utter joy, of complete peace, where everything is perfect and everything becomes absolutely right. And there's also the assurance that while journeying through this life, that though we will have to navigate different struggles on this earth, that we don't have to be overcome by the struggles and the hardships that we find ourselves going through. For the Bible promises us that God gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the victory over the problems and battles in this present world is available to us because of what Jesus himself has accomplished by coming into this world as a man, not only in him dying sacrificially to make payment for our sins upon the cross that we might be forgiven of our own failures, but powerfully then raising back from the realm of the dead three days later, that Jesus victoriously overcame the death process and powerfully overcame all things, even as he proclaims in this last verse of our text we're looking at this morning. And that's what we want to consider in our time together today. We want to reflect upon how we can gain hope from what is offered to us through our Lord Jesus Christ in the reality that our Lord has defeated the grave, that he is alive, that he is risen indeed and reigning in power. 
In John chapter 14 through chapter 16, a sort of a backdrop, Jesus has been sharing one of his final teachings together with his disciples. And he's been sharing with them some very important things, and it's a few hours, literally the last hours before he'll be arrested and put to death upon the cross. And he's been explaining to them that a major change is about to come in their lives. They were about to experience something that would be at first very difficult for them to go through. Yet though it would be difficult to go through at first, it would ultimately bring about something much better for them in the end. And of course, what he's referring to is how he would be departing from them and no longer be with them. And this greatly concerned the disciples as they heard this news from the Lord Jesus. As he was telling them, I am about to depart and no longer be with you. This was alarming the disciples to hear these very things. After having been with Jesus for many years, they had grown quite attached to the presence of the Lord and his help in their lives, that no matter what came up, Jesus resolved the problem. Jesus taught them things. Jesus provided for them. Jesus calmed them in the midst of difficulties and storms. And now they're hearing Jesus tell them that he is no longer going to be with them, that he's not going to be together with them in bodily form as he once had been for those many years. Uh, Yet Jesus assured them that though he was going away, that he was not going to abandon them altogether and leave them like orphans all alone, but that he actually was going to go away, but then he was going to come back to them. And that it would actually be to their advantage to go through these difficult things, because actually what was going to happen was going to bring something much more advantageous for them spiritually on the other side that through the difficulty they ultimately would find something better on the other side and of course he was referring to how he was about to be in a matter of hours arrested and then suffer greatly at the hands of men beaten and scourged or whipped and ultimately he would be crucified And he would die upon the cross, a brutal death, defeating the power of sin and Satan and death and overcoming those things, ultimately then in his resurrection as he came back to life. And they would briefly see him after his resurrection, but then once again, he would rise back to heaven and send down the Holy Spirit. And Jesus would then be with them once again by the presence of of his spirit dwelling with each one who was a follower of him. That's why if you look back up in chapter 16, verse 22, Jesus proclaimed to them in the 22nd verse, therefore you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. In other words, Jesus was saying to them, after a period of sorrow, I promise you that after the time of hardship, after this time of difficulty and sorrow that you'll go through, he says, I promise you, your heart will experience much greater joy on the other side of this, because greater things will come to you spiritually. And verse 28, as we pick up in our text now, Jesus is now bringing to conclusion this final teaching of chapters 14 through 16. It says, look with me in verse 28, that Jesus declared, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, he says, I leave the world and I go to 
the Father. So verse 28 here declares really a glorious summary from the words of our Lord Jesus of exactly who he is and actually his very purpose and mission, why he came to this earth. Notice, first of all, a few things. The first thing we take note of is Jesus declares in verse 28 here his divinity or his deity. And what we mean by that, of course, is that he's claiming that he was God. You see with me there at the beginning of verse 28, Jesus says, I came forth from the Father, he says, in heaven and came into this present world. In the verse just prior to this, in verse 27, Jesus directly said, I came forth from God, or literally the throne of God. In other words, Jesus is proclaiming here, I came forth from being eternally existent there at the throne of God with my Father in heaven where I have always been alive, and I came forth from that place as God, reigning and ruling together with my Father in heaven and entered into this world. The Bible teaches that Jesus is the eternal Son of God, that he is the second person of what we call the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which means that Jesus, prior to his earthly life as a man, has always forever been alive in heaven. There as God, ruling as Lord, he has been eternally existent. And that's why when he came into this earth, as he came, that all of his creation recognized exactly who he was and submitted to his authority and obeyed him. That's why when you read the Gospels, you see demons yielding to the authority of the Lord Jesus, recognizing he was God. That's why you see the wind and the waves and creation would obey him. That's why when Jesus would speak to disease, it would depart from people at times and they would be healed because he was God. Secondly, we take notice of in verse 28 that Jesus also speaks of his incarnation. And by that, we mean the fact that as God, he actually became a man. He became a human and took flesh. It tells us in verse 28 that Jesus says, I came forth, notice, from the Father. He says then, and I then came into the world, that is, into the physical world. At his Father's direction, Jesus being sent came into this physical world and actually, though remaining God, actually became a man as well. Wanting to rescue humanity with the problem of sin, Jesus kindly entered into our world to help us. And how he did this is described in the word of God by telling us that God, through the person of Jesus, entered into this world and took flesh and blood, actually became a human being just like us, that he might rescue humanity from the problem of sin that would destroy us. Remaining God, Jesus, though having divinity as God, took upon himself a second nature. He took upon himself a human nature. And of course, the way that that happened, we know, is the Bible teaches us that through a miracle, God the Father miraculously placed the life of his son, Jesus Christ, into the womb of a virgin woman so that Jesus might be conceived apart from the help of a natural father and that he might be still the son of God and at the same time become the son of man and actually have humanity and deity at the exact same time. That he might be born as a man being completely God and fully human at the same time. So this eternally existent God 
actually came into our world as a man, that he as man might reveal God perfectly in flesh and blood living among humanity, and that he might graciously help us in the area of our deepest need. Thirdly, in verse 28, we take notice in Jesus' words here of really his ultimate mission, and that he was born in a different way than anyone else was ever born before. That is that Jesus was actually born to die. You notice that Jesus says here that after coming into the world, he says, from the Father, he says, verse 28, again, I leave the world. And that is Jesus would leave the world through his death, being put to death on the cross, and through his burial. Here, Jesus speaks to us of how he came to provide salvation. And this would happen in literally a matter of less than 24 hours as Jesus, though innocent and sinless, would offer his perfect life on our behalf as an offering to be acceptable unto the throne of God. That is the perfect man who lived sinlessly in a way that you and I don't. Jesus offered his life as the acceptable offering under the throne of God to satisfy what it requires for mankind to have access into heaven. And of course, ultimately, Jesus allowed himself to become the Lamb of God, the sin offering, the sacrifice for the sins of the world. Jesus allowed his life to become the perfect sacrifice for the sin of all humanity. And that transpired as Jesus would shortly from this time be arrested. He would be beaten. The Bible says that he was whipped or scourged brutally. His beard was ripped out of his face. A crown of thorns was beaten into his skull. And then ultimately he was crucified upon the cross as he experienced the torturous form of death and crucifixion, dying a painful death in our place to spare us. The one who was innocent took our punishment as the guilty one bearing the sin of the whole world. Jesus, as our substitute, took the punishment that we deserve to spare us. Isaiah 53 says regarding Jesus that he was wounded for our transgressions. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way, and yet the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's why when Jesus was dying on the cross, one of his seven statements was, it is finished. The little term there is in the Greek, paid in full. He was paying in full the price for the punishment that was necessary for our sins as he died in our behalf. And that's why after he proclaimed, it is finished, the Bible says that he literally bowed his head and gave up his spirit. When he knew he had accomplished what was necessary for the payment of sin, he then chose to die at that exact moment. And that is how Jesus left the world. He came into the world, but he said, I also will leave this world. And he left this world through his death upon the cross and his burial in the tomb. Fourthly, we take note of here in verse 28 in this beautiful summary of how Jesus refers to his resurrection back from the dead and his ascension back into heaven from where he originally came from. You notice in the latter part of verse 28, Jesus says, I'm going to leave the world, the course in death. But then he says, and then I will go to the father or the idea is go back to my father in heaven from where I originally came came from. Jesus says, I will once again be returning to heaven back to the throne of God. And we know that this is what we celebrate even on this day, that after three days of Jesus being clinically dead, 
living in a tomb, there is body laying in a tomb, dead for three days, that after that time he would powerfully arise from the dead. He would come back from among the realm of the dead and defeat the power of grave and death on our behalf, miraculously rising back from death, even as he predicted he would. We're told that Jesus said in John chapter 10, during his earthly ministry, I lay down my life only to take it up again. He said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. Only Jesus Christ has done the one thing that no one else has ever been able to do, and that is to beat the power of death. I'm willing to listen to someone and trust someone who's willing to say, I'm going to choose when I die, and I also will choose to overcome the power of death, and he actually did it. He came back from the dead even as he promised that he would. He overcame sin and Satan and death in his glorious victory. Acts chapter 1 tells us that after his suffering, Jesus presented himself alive to his disciples and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. So for over a month, Jesus in his resurrected glorified body was appearing and meeting with his disciples, over 500 people at that time, the Bible says, Jesus met and ministered to after he was alive from the dead, giving convincing proof that he was alive. And after that time of 40 days in his resurrected body, he then, of course, ascended, or as we say, rose back into the realm of heaven where he originally came from. Acts 1 says that after Jesus spoke these things, that while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight and he was taken up into heaven. Luke's gospel adds, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. How wonderful to know today that we serve a risen Savior that we worship a resurrected Lord who is alive, not just a spiritual figure who said some good things while on earth and then died like every other person does, but one who came to minister to humanity, who died and is alive this morning and offers power and help through his powerful resurrected life. Jesus is now alive in glory and he's the triumphant saver seated upon the throne of God. Hebrews 7 tells us he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So verse 28 gives us this beautiful declaration of a summary of what Jesus came to do. And hearing that clear and direct summary of his life, we're told in verse 29, the disciples hearing this then responded to him saying, verse 29, see, now you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now, in the prior part of this teaching Jesus was giving, he was using some analogies to illustrate some of the truths that he was trying to help them understand. And as he was trying to help them better understand, giving some analogies what was going to happen, the disciples were struggling to grasp what he was saying. And Jesus, understanding, they were a little perplexed at this time, trying to understand all that this meant, 
knew that they were having trouble grasping these things, so no doubt wanting to help them understand. That's why in verse 28, he gave that glorious summary of who he is and what he entered into this world to ultimately do in verse 28. That's why he gave that statement in verse 28, wanting them to grasp it so clearly. He says, I came forth from the Father. I've come into the world. Again, I'm going to leave the world, and I'm going to go back to the Father. And as they heard that summary, that's why in verse 29, it was so clear. They said, ah, now that makes sense. Now it is totally evident to us. You've made it so plain and so clear for us. Now, as I look at that, it's a great reminder to me that the heart of Jesus is that people would be able to hear spiritual truth in a way that is so plain that they would easily understand it for themselves. It reminds me that that is the heart of God, that God wants everyone to clearly understand as plain as possible the truth about his plans for them and understand to experience these spiritual things for themselves, certainly regarding salvation. That's why in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, it tells us that God our Savior desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That's what God desires, that we would all be saved. It doesn't say all will be saved because there's a choice to believe. Some will believe. Others will refuse to believe, sadly. But to all those who will believe, it is God's desire that all would be saved. He wants you, I, everyone to be saved. That's his desire. And he wants us to come to a knowledge of the truth. He doesn't want it to be confusing or perplexing what his plans or purposes are. God wants it to be clear plain and clear that anyone from the youngest child from a five-year-old to a 15-year-old to a 50-year-old or any age or any level of education can clearly understand the simplicity that though we are all sinful God has made a way of salvation through his son Jesus Christ and it is simple and available and freely offered to all of us he wants us to come to that knowledge and hear his disciples say now we get it verse 30 they go on to say now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that one should question you by this we believe that you came forth from God so the disciples here express now how they feel they understand what he's saying and it prompted them to believe they say here in this verse now we get it it makes sense and we are truly certain they say here truly confident that you know all things even the unspoken things that are going on inside of our hearts that are questions that we were trying to work through they sensed that the lord was basically answering questions that they already were having going on within themselves he could see they were struggling to understand and so jesus answered even the very questions within them as he made that declaration in verse 28 and hearing the lord speak to their heart in a very personal way, and they knew they were hearing something from the Lord for themselves in a personal way. Notice that prompted belief towards him. As they heard the Lord speaking to the innermost part of their heart, even answering the very questions within them, that's what prompted them to believe towards him. They say, we believe, indeed, you have come from the throne of God. And, you know, there is something very powerful about when you hear the voice of God, the voice of the Lord speaking to you that prompts you. 
to want to believe in a way you never have before because you know he is speaking to the things in your very heart that only God could know are going on inside of you. And perhaps you've sensed the Lord doing that in your life of late. And here they proclaim their certainty and their trust in the Lord. Now, as we go on, we're going to see indeed they were sincere. But perhaps they were being a little bit overconfident at this point as they proclaimed their trust in the Lord. And Jesus knew what they would do in the hours ahead from this moment of conversation here. He knew in a very short period of time how they would actually question when things happened. And it would be difficult for them to understand what was going on. And even doubt and fear would arise within their hearts. And Jesus, knowing them well, as difficult situations were indeed about to unfold, as he would be arrested, and they would watch him be beaten and brutally mistreated, and they would watch their Lord dying upon a cross. The hardships they would endure through were going to cause them to stumble in their confidence. It was going to cause them to question things, and they would find themselves wrestling with fear and panic and doubts. They would find themselves even wavering in their own commitment to the Lord, and though they seemed very confident in this moment and were expressing, we believe, we're committed, we trust, Jesus knew that when they went through some hard things experientially, it actually was going to cause them to struggle with some of their own fears and express some of their own doubts, and they would begin to recognize they weren't quite as committed as they really often thought they were to the Lord. And Jesus, therefore, knowing their weakness, that's why verse 31, he says, as they express their confidence, he says, do you now believe? In other words, what Jesus is saying is, do you really now believe as much as you say you do? Is it really certain? Are you that sure that you trust me that fully? Are you really as committed to me? And is your faith as strong as you really think that you are? You know, sometimes like the disciples here, as Jesus kind of gently challenges them, sometimes we, like the disciples, can become a little overconfident spiritually. And we express our belief and we think we have great trust in the Lord and that we're very committed to the Lord as they sincerely felt they were as well. And sometimes the Lord, as he sees that in our lives, may kind of gently prompt us. Sometimes he has to gently challenge us by saying, do you really believe? Even when it gets very hard, do you really have confidence uh, and, and trust me even when things happen that you didn't expect were going to happen? Things that kind of rock your world and shake the foundations. Are you really committed to me even in the hard times? Jesus may ask us and cause us to recognize sometimes Verse 32, he goes on, notice, to indicate what he means. He says, indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, and has now come, he says, that you will be scattered, he says, each to his own and will leave me alone. Again, notice, Jesus, being God and therefore knowing all things, informs them here in verse 32 that he was aware that they were going to fail very shortly after this, that they were actually going to abandon the Lord in the hardest hour because a band of soldiers was about to arise and come upon them in the night with weapons in hand and fear for their own welfare was going to get the best of each of the disciples. 
And though they felt they had great trust in the Lord and tremendous commitment to the Lord, when they came to arrest Jesus with weapons in hand, fear of their own welfare would get the best of each of them and they would flee in self-preservation, scattering into hiding, thinking only the best for themselves in the midst of hard times and they would quickly forget about their commitment to the Lord. And this is what Jesus is bringing to their attention here. He's predicting their failure before it even happened. Jesus is saying to them here in verse 32, look at it, he says, in the coming hour of testing, he says, I know that each of you, you're actually going to scatter. You're actually going to flee and and to a degree turn away from me and you're going to pursue your own interests in the hardest hours. And you're going to do that which is in your own best interest and leave me alone, he says, and somewhat turn from faithful commitment. And as exactly as Jesus predicted, we know, Mark chapter 14, it tells us that when Jesus was arrested, that all the disciples forsook Jesus and fled, exactly according to the failure that he predicts here. We're even told that Peter himself, remember, directly denied any connection to the Lord. Just as Jesus knew, weakness overcame them and they failed and did not trust the Lord. Their faith lapsed. They had a struggle with fear and fear overcame them circumstantially and they abandoned Jesus and went into hiding, doing what was in their best interest alone. And when the hard hour came, it brought about a proving ground of what their real condition was spiritually. You know, there's been uh, the adage said before that Christians sometimes can be like tea bags, that you really don't know what flavor they are until they get dipped into really hot water. And then it becomes evident. A lot of times trials and challenges do a lot more to reveal our condition more than anything else because it brings to the surface really where we're at maybe in our own hearts sometimes. And so Jesus here says, look, I am fully aware in the hard moment circumstantially you're not going to trust me. Your fear will overcome you and you'll become overwhelmed with anxiety rather than continuing to trust me. And your commitment will waver to me. Look, as I read the words of Jesus here, it reminds us that he is fully aware of all of our human weaknesses. He knows our failures better than we do. In fact, keep in mind, before you ever sinned once or made any mistakes in your life, 2,000 years ago, Jesus died for every one of your failures. Jesus is more familiar with your sin than you are because he died 2,000 years ago on the cross bearing the sin of you and I and the whole world. So he knows my sins better than I do. When I fail, I'm disappointed, upset, or shocked, but he's fully aware and more familiar with my failures than I am. What an amazing thing. Jesus knew that we would all have times when we're going to stumble in our lives, when we have lapses in faith, when we don't believe the way that we should, when our trust is somewhat unsettled in God. He knows there's going to be occasions even when we'll forsake and deny the Lord and our commitment to him by something that we do. Yet the Lord still loves us, knowing our failures. He's still fully committed to us through our mistakes. In fact, that's the whole reason he came, isn't it? Because we all need help so much. Thankfully, his faithfulness is the glorious solution to all of our failures. Let me say that again. 
Thankfully, his faithfulness is the glorious solution to all of our failures. Well, Jesus, as the perfect man, notice as well in verse 32, also speaks here how he overcame hurt and let down in his life. And indeed, when the disciples forsook him, it was a letdown. It was a hurtful thing experientially. Jesus speaks as well in verse 32. We'll see how he overcame loneliness. Notice he says, you will forsake me, he says, verse 32. But then he goes on to say, yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. Jesus says, though it will appear by human circumstances that I am left all alone, I know I'm not alone. And he says, the reason is because the presence of God the Father is constantly with me. Take notice, while Jesus lived as a man, he relied upon his relationship with the Heavenly Father. And even when he was abandoned by those closest to him, his disciples, in the time of their weakness and failure, which no doubt caused hurt to him to a degree emotionally, Surely it caused feelings of letdown and disappointment as he was forsaken. Yet he did not feel completely alone because he knew that he was not completely alone because the presence of the Father in heaven was still with him even when other people were not. Human loneliness did not overcome Jesus in his humanity because the presence of the Father always remained with him. And Jesus here, as the perfect ideal man, gives us a great example of remaining aware of the reality of God's presence, even in the midst of times when you feel alone. It's his Father's presence that sustained him when he was cut off from all the rest of his spiritual family and relationships. It was his father's presence that supported him when people let him down or hurt him or forsook him. And look, folks, that's a great lesson for you and I. In the times when we find ourselves maybe cut off from our spiritual family, when we find ourselves maybe alone or separated from other relationships in humanity, the presence of the father, the presence of God can sustain us in those times when we feel alone. And when we find ourselves let down or maybe forsaken, maybe we've been hurt or forsaken by others in relationships, the presence of God can sustain us in the midst of those times. When we have a relationship with the Lord Jesus, we are a child of God. And as a child of God, that means that we can truly proclaim the same truth for ourselves despite your circumstances or despite what you may feel, you can say the same statement that Jesus said, and that is this, I am not alone. It may look like I'm alone, but I am not alone because God is with me. God is with me, and therefore I'm not alone. Knowing God in a personal relationship is the solution to overcoming human loneliness. And human loneliness can be a difficult thing to navigate, but how wonderful to realize that it is a relationship personally with God and knowing that God is with you, his presence is always with you, that becomes the solution to human loneliness. That you can say, though it appears I'm alone, though I may be physically alone in this home or in my life, I am not alone because God is with me. His presence is with me. The greatest of relationships is available to me. Well, look how our Lord 
concludes, if you would, this teaching in verse 33. He speaks things of reality, yet great hope as well. Jesus says, verse 33, These things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation or trouble, but be of good cheer, he says, I have overcome the world. Notice, Jesus says, first of all, verse 33, these things I have spoken to you. Referring to what's recorded in chapters 13 through 16. Wonderful truths and statements are made, which I encourage you to read and to become familiar with these chapters. Great encouragement and hope is spoken in these things because in these chapters that Jesus says, I've spoken these things to you, reflecting back to the prior chapters, There are great things spoken of, like the glory of heaven that awaits all the followers of Jesus who have their faith in him. In John 14, Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. In these chapters preceding this, Jesus also speaks of things like the wonderful assistance of the Holy Spirit to help us, to be our internal helper in our relationship with God. He speaks of that in chapters 14 and 15 and 16. He also speaks of the assurance that our prayers are heard and that God actually wants to help us. And Jesus encourages us in these chapters of the value of prayer and talking to God and receiving his help. So Jesus says, look, these things I've spoken to you because life, he says, in this present world is going to be hard. But he says, though life in this world is going to be hard, I offer you the ability to experience peace within your soul. Take note of those two things in Jesus' statements here in verse 33. One thing we see is that Jesus promises tough experiences. Now, that may not be a very encouraging thing to think about, but it's something Jesus himself, as God, promises. Jesus promises tough experiences. You see what he says in verse 33? He says, in this world, this world, you will have tribulation. And the word tribulation speaks of hardships and problems and difficulties, times of struggle in all types of different ways that while living in this world and its fallen condition because of the sin of the world and its effect upon humanity, Jesus says it is a guaranteed thing that we will all face hard times, that a part of the journey through this life means that you're going to at times go through difficulties There will be hardships, setbacks, even sometimes maybe severe tragedy or crisis, and no one is immune from problems in this present life on this physical earth. In this world, Jesus says, sometimes you're going to face hardships. It's something that, honestly, we should somewhat expect. We should anticipate that at times it will get hard in life. And yet we can humbly accept when that time comes because we realize this isn't something abnormal. It's just a part of the journey on this earth. As we live in this world, we will all face trials, but yet sometimes it is hardships and difficulties in all the different ways that they come that become some of the most valuable tools to shape us in our character, 
to cause us to look to God in ways like we never have before and humbly realize we need his help. And Jesus says, though we cannot avoid difficulty, and he says it's promised it will come, he says you don't have to be destroyed by hardship. You don't have to be overcome and defeated by challenges and problems when they come into your life from time to time. Because secondly, notice Jesus offers peace through relationship with him. He says, look, though in the world you're going to have problems, it's going to be hard, but he says, verse 33, in me you can have peace. In the world you're going to have hardship and trouble. But he says, but in me you can have peace. And that word in me is a relational term. It speaks of being in a relationship with someone, united in a relationship with the Lord Jesus. Notice, peace is offered to those who are living in a right relationship with Jesus. That is where peace can be found. Because Jesus, the Bible says, is the Prince of Peace. And when the Prince of Peace is ruling internally on the throne of your heart, the condition of your life then becomes peaceful to a much greater degree. As the Prince of Peace rules within you, he brings a condition of calm and peace within you. And notice, Jesus is something, he says, that you may have. In me, you may have peace. Notice, an offer. Promise of trouble, but an offer of peace. And the way that offer of peace is experienced is to be in a relationship with Jesus. Because through Jesus, we can make peace with God. We all have a sin issue and our sin puts us at enmity with God or at war with God because we're sinful people and he's a holy God. But the way to make peace with God and to resolve the battle within is to wave the white flag of surrender by trusting in the terms of the peace treaty God offers, which is the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. And we can make peace with God by surrendering to the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. And it's in a relationship with Jesus, we also then can experience peace internally. Not only can you make peace with God, but we can experience internal peace, a rest for the soul. As we go through difficulties and hardships, it's very common to get agitated within, to feel restless. It disrupts our peace. And when we go through hard times, we feel worried, maybe fearful. Sometimes we find ourselves struggling with anger or we're agitated or stressed out. Maybe hardships bring deep sadness and grief. And Jesus wants to be able to calm the storm within. He wants to settle our heart and cause it to become peaceful internally by his wonderful presence. Second Thessalonians 3 says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you his peace at all times and in every situation. Look, perhaps this morning you are struggling with things right now in your life. And maybe inwardly you are agitated or fearful or grieving. In Jesus, you can have peace. In a relationship with Jesus, he can bring peace to your soul internally. Seek him for that peace. Notice Jesus promises certainty as well that we can prevail over all the troubles because of what he already accomplished in his great victory in coming into this world. He says there in the latter part of this verse, though in the world you're going to have tribulation and trouble, he says, but you be of good cheer, verse 33 says, for I have overcome the world. Jesus says, despite what you face and endure, he says, you be of good cheer. The language literally is, you be encouraged. Or he's saying, you take courage. 
You be courageous, he says. Interesting, Jesus wants us to have courage in hard times. Why? Well, he says at the end of the verse, look at it, he says, here's why I want you to have courage, because he says, because I have overcome the world, he says. I've overcome everything in the world. On our behalf, the word overcome means to conquer as a victorious king, to triumph like the winner of a battle. Jesus assures that his entrance into this world, what he accomplished in this world, and then his departure from this world gives to us great confidence that he prevailed over all the problems and the powers in this world that would ruin and destroy us as human beings. You know, it is because of the life, the crucifixion, the death, and most importantly, the resurrection from the dead of our Lord Jesus Christ that we can have great courage. Jesus overcame the debt of sin in all of our lives that could destroy us and banish us to hell eternally. Jesus overcame that. Jesus in his life, death, and his resurrection overcame the power of sin that rules so many people in the world who are unable to break free of habits, but Jesus broke the power of sin and overcame it in his death and resurrection. Jesus overcame the prince of this present world system, the devil, who wants to ruin people's lives, and yet Jesus overcame him in the cross and in his resurrection. Jesus overcame the power of death. That is the greatest thing that terrifies people in this world. People are terrified with the fear of dying. And Jesus overcame that fear of death because he conquered death and offers to us victory on the other side of death in eternal life. The concern of how we could be in a relationship with God and enter heaven has all been resolved by what Jesus has overcome for us. Because he is alive, he is the risen Savior can forgive our sin because he's alive to do it. Because he's the risen Savior, he can give us eternal life that we need through his eternal life. He can give us peace within through his life flooding peace into our soul. He can give us power over anything that would defeat us, any sin that would encumber us. Jesus can give this to us. In essence, Jesus is wanting to say in verse 33, I overcame everything in the world that has the power to overcome you. What a wonderful thing to know. That is a declaration of tremendous hope. The one who overcame everything can help you and I to overcome anything. And there are a lot of things that can overcome us in this world. We can be overcome by stress and pressures. We can be overcome by our own fears. People at times are overcome by depression People are overcome by anxiety, overcome by unhealthy habits. But through Jesus, he overcame everything in the world so that we can overcome anything that we deal with as we go through this world. He offers that overcoming power. And one day we can overcome hell and enter into heaven as we depart from this world through our trust and confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he says, you take courage. Peace is available in me. Victory over anything in your life is available through me. And he says, let this encourage you. I overcame, and now you can overcome. And as Christians, that should bring us supernatural joy in our soul as we consider that. And look, today, if you're not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ yet, you need to know that's what he is offering to you. He is offering to you hope. 
offering to you the opportunity to overcome hell and to enter into heaven. He's offering you the power to change. He's offering to you peace within your soul. And that is available if simply you will come and receive him as Savior and Lord. It's a free gift that he's offering to each and every one if you're willing to receive it from him.